Well, good morning, church. It's my privilege to be with you all this morning and my privilege once again to preach God's life-changing word. Welcome to everyone joining us in the house as well as those joining us online. And may we all be transformed by the word of the Lord today. Amen. Amen. Church, this morning we find ourselves in part two of Revelation chapter four in our series Revealing Jesus. And as you would recall, last week we started addressing the very interesting and sometimes controversial topic of the rapture. Right from the get-go, we identified the many differing views that Christians have when it comes to this doctrine. But as we clarified, even though we may differ on this very thing, as long as we are agreeing on the final outcome and how to get there, this is not something that should in any way divide the body of Christ. The main purpose of digging deep into the doctrine of the rapture, number one, is really to uh, appreciate the, the depths of Scripture Number two, to have a better understanding of eschatology, which is the study of end-time events. And I would say most importantly, number three, to adequately and correctly prepare us in our Christian journey for the Lord's return. And that's exactly what we are going to continue to do this morning. That's our heart as we go through these prophetic texts, that it would prepare us in our Christian lives now for the Lord's return. As I promised you last week, to build the understanding of what the rapture is about, I'm going to take you to several passages in the Bible that speak to this event. And last week, we looked at three main portions of Scripture. And just by way of quick recap, we began with 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 15 to 18, where we find the words caught up which in the Greek is the word harpazo, and when it was translated into the Latin Bible called the Latin Vulgate, we find the word raptus, and that's where we get our English word rapture from. This portion of Scripture describes how we will be caught up together to meet the Lord in the air, and when the trumpet call of God sounds, those who have fallen asleep before us, those who have passed away before us, will get their glorified bodies first, And we who are alive and remain will get our glorified bodies on the way up. The Apostle Paul clarifies this miraculous bodily transformation when he says in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, for this perishable body must put on the imperishable, and this mortal body must put on immortality. Why? Because then shall come to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory, O death, where is your sting? O grave, where is your victory? Satan, where is your victory in in death? There is no victory. The victory is in the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul also makes a specific note that it's going to happen in a moment in the twinkling of an eye, which means that it is a sudden event. And then church, we finally looked at Matthew chapter 24 and Luke chapter 17, where Jesus compares his coming and the rescuing of his bride to the days of Noah and Lot. He compares the rapture to the days of Noah and Lot, which is very significant as a pre-tribulation position because these examples show us how God removed righteous people before calamity 
and catastrophe came before judgment came. These were righteous people living among unrighteous people, and God spared them. Jesus makes specific reference to these events, which I believe is more evidence for Christians being taken from the earth prior to the seven-year tribulation period. It's consistent with, with what the scriptures say. And remember, the Bible's revelation of the world's consummation should bring godly motivation in our Christian lives. Amen? Amen. So church, as we continue to build the evidence or the evidence for the rapture today, I want to ask you to turn in your Bibles to Revelation chapter 4. If you would go there in your Bibles, and let's read verses 1 to 3. This is what it says. After this, I looked and behold, a door standing open in heaven. And the first voice which I had heard speaking to me like a trumpet said, Come up here, and I will show you what must take place after this. Remember the, the words after this are the Greek words metatata, which indicate to us that we are now transitioning from the church age, and we are now transitioning from chapter 4 into future events. Verse 2 says, At once I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne stood in heaven with one seated on the throne. And he who sat there had the appearance of Jasper and Carnelian. And around the throne was a, a rainbow. We're talking about the real rainbow, God's rainbow, that had the appearance of an emerald. Now, church, as we look closely together at these verses, I believe that the Apostle John, and this is not just my view, but that the Apostle John is a type or a picture of the church in what happens here at this significant point of the book of Revelation. Why do I say that? Because everything else that John is about to write is written from the vantage point of being kept safe in heaven. He says in verse 2, At once I was in the Spirit, and behold, the throne stood in heaven with one seated on the throne. He's taken up by the Spirit and everything else from that point onwards, from Revelation chapter 4 to Revelation chapter 22, John writes from that safe position in heaven with the Lord. And let me just list some of the evidence of what I'm claiming here about John being a type or a picture of the church. If you take your notes this morning, number one is the absence of the word church. The word church, get this, is mentioned 19 times in the first three chapters of Revelation, but not again until Revelation chapter 22, verse 16. Now, if we have a look at that timeline again, if you could put that up for us, just observe for a moment how much actually takes place from the last time the word church is mentioned in the very last verse of chapter 3 at the end of the church age and when it is mentioned again in Revelation chapter 22, specifically when you look at all these events that are going to happen between chapter 6 through 18, which is the tribulation period, there's no mention of the word church whatsoever. I don't believe that is just a coincidental thing, right? So again, it's a picture here of the church. John hears this voice come up here, and he's taken up to heaven, and he's kept safe when all of the tribulation is going to be unleashed upon the world. So that's the first thing. 
the absence of the word church. Number two is the open door in heaven. It says here in verse one, after this I looked and behold a door standing open in heaven. And quick question for you this morning, why is the door standing open? Because the church is going up. Remember last time I mentioned that when Jesus addressed the church, the true church at Philadelphia, he promised firstly to keep them from the hour of trial and that he had set before them an open door that no one could shut. And only a few verses later here in Revelation chapter 4 verse 1, John sees the fulfillment of that promise. But what's really interesting, church, is that the only other time heaven is standing open in the book of Revelation after chapter 4 verse 1 is chapter 19 verse 11 when Jesus is coming back down. In other words, if you could get this picture in your mind, it's like you have this portal to heaven and it's open for this significant event for the church to be caught up and go through. And the only other time that door is opened again is when Jesus returns for the second coming in chapter 19. That's very significant. You can put an asterisk next to that point. Number three, you have the reference to the sound of a trumpet. Also here in verse 1, John says, And the first voice which I had heard speaking to me like a trumpet said, Come up here, and I will show you what must take place after this. Now just to be clear this morning, it's not literally a trumpet. John, John is describing the voice of God like a trumpet. But again, that is consistent with other passages in the Bible where the voice of God is like a trumpet, a sound associated with the rapture of the church. This is evident in the portions of Scripture we've already covered in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, where it refers to the trumpet of God, and 1 Corinthians chapter 15, which is the resurrection chapter, where it refers to the last trumpet. It's a specific sound that is related to a specific event where the church is going to be snatched away. And as someone said to me last week, what a day that is going to be. Amen? Amen, somebody. Let's build some more. Number four, the return of the saints with Christ is more evidence as to why John's a picture of the church being taken before the tribulation that starts in chapter 6. Why do I say that? Because we must be in heaven during the tribulation in order that we might return with Christ after the tribulation. Logically, that makes sense, right? The Bible says in, in Revelation chapter 19, verse 14, it says, And the armies of heaven, arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. So in Revelation chapter 19, which is the chapter that talks about when Jesus comes back to the earth physically, not just in the clouds to get the church, but when he actually comes back to the earth, to Jerusalem, and touches down on the Mount of Olives, it says, accompanying him are armies from heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and pure. Now church, some will quickly look, look at that and say, that's the angels that are with him, right? But that's not accurate. Because the ones who are specifically clothed in white garments are believers. That's going to be us one day. 
Somebody needs to just take that into account this morning. That's going to be us. Revelation chapter 3 verse 5 says, He who overcomes shall be clothed in white garments. And I will not blot out his name from the book of life, but I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. So you see, it's a reference to the saints coming back with Jesus, and we will have to be in heaven at that point for us to come back with him. The Bible tells us in in Jude chapter 1, verses 14 and 15, it is only one chapter, but in verses 14 and 15, it says that Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied about these men also saying, behold, the Lord comes with ten thousands of his saints to execute judgment on all, to convict all who are ungodly among them of all their ungodly deeds, which they have committed in an ungodly way, and all of the harsh things which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. Again here it says that the Lord will return and he will come back with his saints to rule and reign. Hallelujah. You also have... 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, verses 12 and 13, where it says, And may the Lord make you increase and abound in love to one another and to all, just as we do to you, so that he may establish your hearts blameless in, ho- in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all his saints. Amen? So it is believed in, Revel- in Revelation chapter 4, When John is taken up there in heaven in the spirit, it's a picture or a type of the church being taken up on that day known as the rapture to be kept safe there when the judgment and tribulation is unfolding upon the earth. Now church, as you would have noticed, many of the scriptural references that I've been using to support the position of a pre-tribulation rapture comes from the letters to the church at Thessalonica. Yes, there are many, many other references throughout Scripture, and we will still get to them at some point as we continue to speak about these end-time events. But why I draw so much of my support from these letters is because the church at Thessalonica were debating very much the same thing Christians are debating today about the second coming of Jesus Christ. One of the reasons the Apostle Paul wrote these letters was to ease their minds to comfort them and to clear up the confusion about this very topic. Because at some point, they thought that they may have missed the Lord's return. They were concerned about that. Now get this, the church at Thessalonica was a young church. It was only a few months old when the Apostle Paul wrote this this letter to them. Paul had been there to establish the church. You can read about it in, in the book of Acts. But this church at this point is only a few months old, which I find fascinating because even as young as they are, Paul speaks to them about end time events. He's not trying to mollycoddle them and say, listen, listen, let's just water down the gospel a little bit for you so that you can ease into your your Christian journey. He addresses these, these things from the beginning. And the reason I mention this church is because You'll have some church leaders or pastors today that say we can't speak about end-time events to our church. 
We can't speak about eschatology, especially the, the serious things that happen in the book of Revelation because we're a young church or we're not spiritually mature enough. Or it might derail people from their faith when they hear about these things. So let's rather focus on more uplifting things. Let's rather focus on motivating people so that they can live their best life now. Paul debunks that idea completely. Because this church isn't even a year old, but he goes into some of the greatest depths of eschatology when he writes these letters to this very young church. Why? So that he can correctly prepare them for what is to come. Because you see, church, if you're not preaching the full counsel of God's word, you're not preparing the body of Christ for what's to come and how they should be living in view of what's to come. Amen? So let me just piece a few additional things together for you from these letters to, to add to what I'm saying. The Apostle Paul taught, taught the Thessalonians that Jesus Christ is going to gather believers to himself before the tribulation and that they should wait for his return. And when he gives thanks to God for them, and encourages them about their faith and love and example that they set as a church to believers, especially to those in Macedonia and Achaia, he says this to them in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 9 and 10. He says, For they themselves declare concerning us what matter of or what manner of entry we had to you, and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God. And to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead. Listen to this. Even Jesus who delivers us from the wrath to come. Chapter 2 verse 19 says, for what is our hope? What is our hope in, in preaching the gospel and, and laboring in the gospel? What is our hope or joy or crown of rejoicing? Is it not even you? Is it not even you, the church, in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ, at his coming. He's teaching them about the Lord's coming and that they're going to be in his presence when he returns. When the Apostle Paul was writing to them in the context of the second coming of Christ, he said this to them in the first 11 verses of 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. And I want you to really just absorb what has been said here. He says, But concerning the times and the seasons, brethren, you have no need that I should write to you. For you yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so comes as a thief in the night. For when they say peace and safety, then sudden destruction comes upon them as labor pains on a pregnant woman, and they shall not escape. But you, brethren, are not in darkness, so that this day should overtake you as a thief. You are all sons of light and sons of the day. We are not of the night nor of darkness. Therefore, let us not sleep as others do, but let us watch and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk are drunk at night. But let us who are of the day be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love, and as a helmet the hope of salvation. And listen to this, church. Verse 9 says, For God did not appoint us to wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, that whether we wake or sleep, 
we should live together with him. Therefore, we find these words again, therefore, comfort each other and edify one another just as you also are doing. Amen. You know, those who hold to a post-trib or a mid-trib view, in that you either go through all of it or part of it, it's really hard to read what I just read from 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and what Paul also said in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 to comfort each other with his words. Because let's be real for a moment, how comforting is it to think that you have to go through some or all of the tribulation? You may say, well, pastor, surely it can't be that bad. Church, wait until we get to that part of the book of Revelation. Because this is not tribulation with a small t that we all experience at different times and to different degrees throughout our lives. This is tribulation with a capital T. And it's like nothing this world has ever experienced and will ever experience again. We'll get into more detail on that when we get there. But believe me when I say that it will not be a comforting thing to know that you will have to go through that type of tribulation. You are not going to comfort each other with those realities. The only real comfort is in knowing that God did not subject us to wrath. Let's read that again. For God did not appoint us to wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, that whether we wake or sleep, we should live together with him. Therefore, comfort one another, each other, and edify one another, just as you also are doing. You see, at some point after this church at Thessalonica was established by the Apostle Paul, after he taught them about the tribulation and the Lord's return and all these end-time events, at some point in time, there's this problem that arose within the church. You see, what happened, because of their faith and their exemplary example of Christian living, they started experiencing severe persecution. They had never experienced that type of severe resistance from the unbelieving world, and all of a sudden, their hardships are increasing Things are getting tougher and tougher, and God hasn't delivered them from that. So some of them are quite worried about that, and they're thinking, okay, you know what, we've never experienced this level of persecution before, so maybe we've missed the rapture. Maybe we've missed the evacuation. Maybe we're going through the tribulation that Paul told us about. Maybe we're in it. And come to think of it, what about our dead relatives? If that's over, maybe they've, they've missed it too. Now, church, this is just my own observation. But it seems to me that they obviously held to a pre-tribulation rapture or they would not be concerned about these matters, right? The fact that they are concerned because of the tribulation that they are experiencing indicates that they anticipated Jesus would come and deliver them from tribulation. Because logically, if they believed they were going through the tribulation, then, then what's the big deal? This is what they would have expected would happen. So Paul writes to them to comfort them and instruct them and says, this is not the tribulation from God. In other words, this is not tribulation with a capital T. Rather, this is tribulation with a small t, and God will be with you as you go through these things. Now, church, there's a clear distinction 
I want to show you here between the rapture and the second coming of Jesus to the earth. And I'll start to close with this. Look again at what it says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 16 and 17. And I want you to take note of very specific words. It says, For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with the, them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. Did you notice what it says there? It says that it is Jesus himself that is going to come for his church. He'll return personally for his people. Right? This is an intimate thing between Christ and his bride. This is the great hope of the church. He said this to his disciples in, in John chapter 14. He said, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms or many mansions. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and I will receive you to myself, that where I am you may be also. I will receive you to myself. So get this, church, he's not leaving this gathering called the rapture for his angels to attend to. He's going to do this himself. Which, by the way, differs from the second coming. The second coming is vastly different because at the second coming, Jesus will send his angels to gather his elect. In Mark chapter 13, Jesus himself says, and listen to these words, but in those days... After that tribulation, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. The stars of heaven will fall and the powers in the heavens will be shaken. Then they will see the Son of Man coming in the clouds with great power and glory. And then he will send his angels and gather together his elect from the four winds from the farthest part of earth to the farthest part of heaven. The elect will include the 144,000 Jewish witnesses, their converts, and the converts of the angelic preachers, which happens during the seven-year tribulation period, and which we'll get to later on in the book of Revelation. Church, and I want you to just really take in what I'm about to say this morning. When Jesus comes for his church in the air, he's coming alone. He's coming alone for his bride. But when he descends from heaven personally at the second coming, he's going to send out his angels to gather the elect that remained, and he's not coming alone. He's going to bring somebody with him. And who might that be? He's going to return with the saints, right? That's going to be us. Amen. And what a glorious day that's going to be, right? So church, in conclusion, there's coming a day. When the Lord Jesus Christ himself, in the twinkling of an eye, will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. That's all your family members and believers that have gone before us. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and thus we shall always be with the Lord. Let's give the Lord a shout of praise for that.
Church, let us live in hope that Jesus is coming soon. That we will see him coming on the clouds of heaven, exalted. That we will see him high and lifted up as he reigns in majesty, in holiness, the Almighty One. If you find those words comforting this morning, just give the Lord a mighty shout of appreciation in this place. You can comfort each other with those words. Amen. Let's pray together. Father God, we come before you with hearts of gratitude for this opportunity to gather together as your church and to delve into the profound truths and mysteries of your word. Thank you for the insights and wisdom we've gained from these passages on the rapture and the blessed hope of Christ's return. Lord, we reflect on the significance of being prepared as the body of Christ for the day when you will call us home. We can't wait for that day. Lord, we seek your discernment to understand the signs of the times and to keep our gaze fixed on you amid the uncertainties of this world. There are many uncertainties. So strengthen our faith and empower us to uplift one another and encourage one another with the fact that you have not appointed us to wrath but to to obtain salvation through you. Lord, we pray this in the precious name of Jesus. And all God's people said,